3: Welcome to the show. It's Monday, and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I say that because I'm here live today on the program. Uh, I want to thank you all for your prayers. Paula and I are so grateful uh, for your emails, for the phone calls to the church, um, cards. Thank you so very, very much for all of your prayers. Uh, I think it's important to give you sort of an update. I don't like to talk about me, but um, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, pain is much less than the last time the the last surgery a little over a year ago Um, i'm a little low on energy and as you can tell with my voice evidently while i was under there was a tube stuck down my throat so i've got some voice issues but i really wanted to come back and do the program this week so i am thrilled to be here and one more time we couldn't be more grateful for the outpouring of love and for your many many prayers um I'm just thrilled to be here, so thank you again. Uh, what we do here on this radio program is take your phone calls to answer Bible questions. Whatever is on your heart or mind will do the best that we can to answer them. You can call us at area code 210 That's three four zero ninety five eighty five. You can also call toll-free if you're outside the local area, eight seven seven six ks That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send them in to us that way. If you're driving in your car, I want you to be safe. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit one button call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer so one more time 340 hope you had a great day in church yesterday uh, i feel like a bum you know i was told to be a couch potato just the the chair to the bedroom to the bathroom back to the chair kind of thing um so yesterday i only went to one service i didn't teach yesterday pastor ken did it by the way Um, If you want to hear a great Bible study, his study yesterday was just wonderful. Um, You can do that at calvaryessay.com. Um, I'm going to take this week off during the week on Wednesday and Friday. I'm going to have people fill in for me. I'm trying to get my stamina back up to where I can do the three services on next Sunday, and I'm pretty sure that will be fine. So I'll be back this coming Sunday. Um, We had people give their life to Jesus yesterday. There was um, lots of um, repentance. And uh, recommitment to the Lord as well. So those are always good things. I pray that you had that kind of day at your church as well. Let me get right to questions because I don't want to waste too much time just talking. Here is the first question from Bridget. And Bridget says, which translation do you prefer? NASB or the newer CSB. I'm shopping for another Bible and would like your opinion. And then she says, this is Bridget, yes, the one you know, <laughs> and laugh out loud. Um, you know, for years, I'll tell you how techy I am, I thought LOL meant lots of love. But it's laugh out loud, I guess. Um, Bridget, I don't like the NASB. Uh, it's, it's, To me, it's always been an awkward translation. Uh, so i wouldn't recommend that one it's there 's nothing wrong with it it 's just a um sort of a word for word translation which sometimes makes that translation a little awkward. I prefer the thought for thought translations that 's what the c s b is uh the the nineteen eighty four version of the n i v uh, and the new living translation as well uh if I were looking for another Bible right now and we are by the way in our house paula is uh, her Bible. She can't keep it together anymore. So uh, we're looking for another Bible, and we're going to be getting her the New Living Translation this time. Uh, Her Bible now is the New King James. and Of course, she had the uh, 1984 NIV before that, Uh, and I like that she wants to to look at other ones. Uh, The CSB, I'm not all that familiar with other than it is supposed to be a faithful Thought-for-thought translation, faithful to the text. Now, the criticism that the CSB gets is criticism over being gender-inclusive because they change some of the pronouns from him to them or to him or to anyone kind of thing. But what they're trying to do is be faithful to the intent of the text all the personal pronouns relating to God are always masculine. So it is not, as is often accused, the gender-inclusive version. That would I, I would never recommend a gender-inclusive translation because it ceases to be a translation of the text. Uh, what the CSB does is they try to take the The meaning of the word. And they're not alone. The ESV does it as well. Um, Jesus said, if a man would come after me, he must deny himself. Well, the word that the CSB and the ESV translates is anyone would come after me. And that's faithful to the text. So what they're trying to do is look at the deeper meaning in the context um, and then making it um, um, an appropriate translation to that. So it's not trying to demasculinize the Lord uh, at all. So of the two that you gave me that chose, I would choose the CSB, but I say that not knowing a whole bunch. Try the New Living Translation. I think you'll like it, Bridget. I think you'll like it. Thank you. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nacho. Pastor Ron, I read an article this week on the sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. In the article, the writer wrote the following... There was a time in the West when the Roman Catholic Church was the church. If you were part of Christendom, you were a part of the Roman Catholic Church. With the Protestant Reformation, that changed. There was a splintering of churches, and this hostility still goes on. We still have conversations here where the Catholics and the Protestants are fighting with one another. Uh, And then he says, the writer does, I never care about those conversations. Why? Because I just want to get to Jesus. If you get to Jesus with the Catholic Church, if another person gets to Jesus through the Lutheran Church, great. But I will tell you this. Catholics are always telling me jokingly that they are the one true church. I don't believe that, but I do believe it when they call it the Mother Church um, because it is the Mother Church. Uh, He explains that all other churches come from the Catholic Church. Now let me stop there for a moment because that's simply not true. The Catholic Church is not, nor has it ever been, a Mother Church. One needs only to read the seven letters to the churches that Jesus himself dictated. And the Mother Church, the first century church, was the apostolic church. That's what Ephesus represents uh, as Jesus is writing letters letter to the church at Ephesus. That's how he opens the seven letters. So it's really important we understand that this myth myth that that all other churches come from the Catholic Church isn't true. The Catholic Church didn't exist until 313 A.D. when Constantine the Emperor declared it the world church or the world religion. That means Peter wasn't the first pope. It means that all the churches don't come from the Catholic Church. That is to slight the apostolic church, which is really the church from which all of the others flowed. So Western Christianity today has nothing to do with the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church. It is not the universal church, which is, by the way, what the word Catholic meant and it's not the mother of churches. So um, Nacho's question was, I agree historically with what this author says, but I do not agree that our business is to pay attention to the Pope as if he is the critical linchpin to what is said and done in today's Christianity. In fact, is the Roman Catholic faith even Christian? Um, it's not, Nacho, and, and and I always upset people when I say that. By When I say it's not the Christian church, it does not rightly represent the apostolic church from which as i said all churches flow that does not mean and i want this to be clear to everybody because i don't want to answer any questions on this it does not mean that i don't believe there are some catholics who are genuinely saved it's just that they're not saved by being to the church or belonging to the church as the church teaches and practices they're saved by being born again in jesus christ and here's why this is such a heartbreaking thing for me because when we talk to Catholics and ask them if they're born again, often we'll get the response that, well, I don't need to be born again. I was born once. I was born a Catholic. I'm going to die a Catholic. And I cannot emphasize enough how often that's the answer we get. And then I will say, well, in John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to a very religious man said, you must be born again. What do you do? How do you deal with that? And because most Catholics don't understand Catholic doctrine, They just completely ignore it. And if the church isn't teaching the necessary new birth, well, then that means that people are not finding salvation. Again, I want to emphasize it, not indicating here that there are some Catholics who aren't real believers. It's just that it's much harder because they don't teach correct doctrine. So I think this is important. I think Jesus needs to be presented in all of his fullness And it can't be a presentation of Jesus through the filter of the Catholic Church, or through the filter of the Lutheran Church, or through the filter of any other denomination, but the filter that represents Jesus is the Bible, the Jesus revealed to us in the Scriptures. And we have to have the real Jesus. A Jesus whose mother is venerated as a co redemptrix is not Jesus. A Jesus who didn't have brothers or sisters because, of course, Mary is considered a perpetual virgin. That's not the real Jesus. So, what we have to do, Nacho, is we've got to present Jesus. And when I'm involved in conversations like this with people, the question that I always want to get to is well, tell me about being born again. When were you born again? When did you have that moment where you said, I want to live just for Jesus? And often I will ask the question, Nacho, where I will say something like, well, tell me, have you ever lived completely for Jesus? And when you look into the eyes of a Catholic who's been asked that question, they're confused by it because religion confuses you. And this whole idea that the Catholic Church is the Mother Church is a myth that's been perpetuated by the Church itself. One more thought. What they believe, the religion that they profess to believe, doesn't keep them away from these scandals, these overwhelming numbers of men and women, especially young boys, who have been abused at the hand of Catholic priests. How does a Catholic priest, who we would automatically assume is a believer, how does he ever explain to Jesus how he caused one of Jesus' little ones to stumble? You see, religion can't keep you holy. Religion can't change your heart, it can't transform your mind. Only Jesus can do that, and that's why we've got to get away from religion. So not only is the Pope not the, the vicar of God on this earth, the Pope like everybody else needs to be born again, or he will not inherit the kingdom of God. I said that would be my last thought, but not your one other thing. I often think of the Pope in terms of listening to Jesus say what he said to Nicodemus. Jesus said, many would say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. And he would say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Can you imagine the look on the Pope's face if Jesus was saying... Look, you of all people shouldn't be surprised when I say that I was that you must be born again. That's why religion is so dangerous. So Nacho, I hope that helps. With the question, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to see the phones busy on my first day back from the surgery. You can call 877-630-5757 for a toll-free line. Here's a question from Wallace. He said, I don't understand why, since the Church changes its positions on many things, capital punishment recently, why is it wrong to change its position on homosexuality? Well, see, that's the whole problem. And when you say the Church changes its position, you're talking about the Catholic Church because it was the Pope who simply uh, recently said that all capital punishment is unacceptable. And the Church's teaching is now going to be that in in spite of what the Word of God says, that all capital punishment is wrong. And they change their position, but see, God doesn't change his position. Here's why it's wrong to change our position on homosexuality, is because people who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the man and the woman living a homosexual lifestyle is living in rebellion against God. Now so is the man and the woman living in a heterosexual relationship with someone they're not married to. So is the man or the woman who is a drunk, the man of the woman who is doing drugs. You see, when we live like that, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't change a position on something like that. Imagine telling somebody who is practicing homosexuality, imagine telling them that what they're doing is okay. How would you explain that to Jesus? So, Wallace, when the church changes its position on issues like capital punishment, and there are many other issues, they're not rightly representing God. Jesus, we're told, is the Ancient of Days. We have a God who does not. He cannot lie. He cannot change. We serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. If he knows everything, why would we ever need to change? That means something that he declared in his word 2,000 years ago is just as relevant today as it was then. Where did we ever get the idea, Wallace, that we could, because the culture swings one way or the other, where do we get the idea that we could change the heart of God on these issues? It's an amazing thing to me, especially related to homosexuality. The church for 2,000 years, based on the teaching of the Word of God, for 2,000 years has decided that this is a lifestyle that is sinful. And what happened in 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled we changed 2,000 years of history? We try to act like it never happened? We've got to be consistent. And the only way to do that is to know what the Word of God represents. And Wallace, when you ask why it's wrong to change our position on homosexuality, if you had a friend who was a practicing homosexual, would you not tell him? that the lifestyle he's engaged in will result in eternal condemnation? Are you more interested in being a nice guy, a culturally acceptable guy? Are you more interested in that than you are in really wanting your friend to be in heaven? My last comment to you, Wallace, is this one. Jesus said you're his friend. If you're a professing believer, Jesus said you're his friend. How would you explain to your friend Jesus that you think the world that we live in has a better idea than he does? He who's perfect, he who's holy. How would we ever, ever explain to him that we've decided that he doesn't know much anymore? You're right that times change, people change, but God never does. So Wallace, I hope that helps a little bit. Here is a question from Henry. Henry, I could use the rest of our program on this one question. I won't, but I could. Henry wants to know, how can we reconcile God's sovereignty? and man's free will now Henry I'm not being flippant when I answer this question but let me start by saying we don't have to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's free will both things are clearly taught in scripture I think what you're confusing is a sovereign God with a God who makes things happen and if that's the case well then we've got this natural tension between well, if God is going to make me do something why then do I have and you say so in the matter why do I have free will or even the the concept of free will and the answer is Henry because you do God is sovereign but he's so sovereign in fact that he will use the poor choices that we make by exercising our own free will even those that rebel against him he will work those choices out for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. I love that, Henry, because the fact of the matter is that no matter what terrible decisions i made in the past, God, because my heart is for him, he's always working things around. Paul and I, we have a, um, a Rubik's Cube illustration that we use on this. I'm, a, I'm not a Rubik's Cube guy. I, you know, I've got some in my office that I always keep here as a reminder. I want my life to look perfect, you know, all the sides... Uh, are, are, are in perfect harmony. And yet there are times when I make terrible choices and I would turn one of those things. God just comes away and flip, flip, flip and, and makes things work out. Why? Because He loves me. And even my mistakes, my bad decisions, He uses to teach me and help me to grow and help me to trust Him. So yes, God is sovereign, but that doesn't mean he's a God who causes things. It doesn't mean that he negates our free will over and over through the scriptures from Old Testament through the New Testament. We're given the opportunity to choose. Jesus was always calling people to choose. Are you too going to leave? He looked at Peter and said, Peter said, well, Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter made the choice Jesus simply gave the invitation so stop thinking Henry of God's sovereignty as God forcing us to do stuff God partners with us in his plan for us and when our heart is right with God when we're walking with the Lord he's always going to nudge us back into a safe place Paul and I we have a picture in the entryway of our home uh, where we're sitting on a rock at our vacation spot at the beach and she's sitting on my lap with her legs across my legs and I'm holding her up and it looks like I'm doing all the work. You know, I am a man and and I'm holding my, wi- my wife and we're going to be safe because I got you, Paul. It, the picture is so much more than that because I see Jesus standing behind us in that picture and he's holding us up, keeping us on the rock. He's the rock. He's keeping us on that rock, but he's keeping us balanced on that rock. And if we start to turn or twist one way or the other, he just sets us up right, and he does it because that's where he knows our hearts want to be. It's the only safe place. And I love the fact that, that at least from the perspective of that picture, he lets it appear as though Paula can trust me, she can count on me, when in reality he's got a smile on his face in the background holding us together and directing our steps. So Henry, when you're with Jesus, we're a beneficiary of God's sovereignty, and all he asks us to do is choose to walk in it with him every day. It's so important that we stop thinking about this. Well, if God knows everything's going to happen, then what's the purpose of prayer, or, or why do I even bother? We do it because in our obedience, we demonstrate that we love him. Isn't it true? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And I love him, and I want to prove I love him, so I simply want to obey him. And even in those times, because he knows that's my heart, Henry, even in those times, he's always there, nudging me back into place and making sure that I'm with him where he is. And I want to use my free will, Henry, and I hope you want to use your free will to be with Jesus. Because if you are, then God's sovereignty is not this black cloud hanging above our head. God's sovereignty is the Shekinah cloud of God walking with us and protecting us and ordering our steps. I've made some bad decisions in my 27 years walking with Jesus. But he knew my heart was in the right place. And one of the things, Henry, that I tell people all the time is that if your heart is right with God, you don't have to do right or make the right choices. Because if your heart's right, even when you mess up, God in his sovereignty is going to wrap you up, bring you right back in the middle of his perfect will. And then you're going to walk with him and things are going to be well. Not easy, but things are going to be well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're inside two minutes for about a minute and a half for this half. So I won't answer ask another question. Let me share with you a little bit about um, what Paul and I have been through over this last. We shared a little bit uh, on the radio program before we left, but you know when you're in that hospital room, Paula's is in the waiting room, and I'm being taken in to the operating room. No, I'm going under, and I'm talking to Jesus. I'm not not just praying; just I'm talking to the Lord. I know there's a chance that I might wake up in heaven, and while that isn't what we wanted to happen, nor is it what we thought would happen, you go through some things. Now, I'm convinced that when you're out under an anesthetic, they do a lot of things to your body, and my body suffered trauma. But you know what? Because of the fix what they did once i'm through the trauma i'm going to be stronger that's what it is we're walking with jesus crises make you think about those things we've got 30 minutes left in the monday program we'd love your live calls and questions 340-9585 or toll free 877 we'll be back in two minutes
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back to the program 340-9585 we've got three calls that came in over the break so please be patient as you hold online let's go to the first one from san antonio michelle online one thank you for calling you're on the air hi pastor um,
4: i have a question I just wanted to know what your thoughts and your comments were about um, yoga and uh, if there's such a thing as Christian yoga. I've heard that there's a, a nefarious spirit tied to that art and or whatever you want to call it. I'm just wondering what you think. What are your thoughts on that?
3: I can do that, Michelle. You know, yoga is, we have to remember what John wrote when he said, greater is he who is innocent, he who is in the world. We Christians don't need to be afraid of the boogeyman. Yoga is exceptionally healthy. Um, it, it, the, 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 the stretching properties, the value um, is, is great. As a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, we don't need to be concerned with nor worried about uh, how others abuse it. Now, obviously, we don't want to... Um, buy into the whole mantra. We don't want to empty ourselves. Um, what we want to do is, is take the approach that, that we're having yoga, we're, we're there with Jesus. And, and when, when you want to meditate on things, when you want to just kind of chill out, what you want to do is you want to be with Jesus. And he'll be right there with you and you're going to be fine. I know some wonderful, wonderful Christians who have, um, benefited greatly from yoga. Um, they, they, they don't do what the instructor tells them to do. I always used to laugh because in the yoga class, they always turn off the lights and always think, well, how appropriate for people who don't know the Lord. They're emptying themselves. selves. They're meditating on nothingness. And in the process, they're doing it in the dark. Well, uh, what we as Christians can do is bring light. And I especially think, Michelle, that there's a great opportunity if you're involved in a yoga class, as an example, that with the contacts that you make in the class, there's wonderful witnessing opportunities for people who don't know Jesus. So uh, I I wouldn't be afraid of it at all. Um, I wouldn't worry about bad spirits. Um, we don't invite them in simply because the Spirit of God lives in us. And what we want to do is counterbalance those spirits. So it's a great time for for meditative prayer. Uh, it's a great time rather than emptying ourselves, filling ourselves with the presence of the Lord. And I, I, I just think it would be a great thing. I wish I had time to do it. Um, because I know that at my age I could benefit a great deal from it but I I don't think there's any problem at all I think you can turn any place that the devil is busy into a place where Jesus rules and reign and of course in your heart don't worry about it don't worry about Christians who are you know kind of legalistic in the sense that no we've got to get away from all the the deeds of darkness Um, remember our job is to bring light into the dark and that's what you'll be doing So I hope that helps, Michelle. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to line two and talk with Christina from San Antonio. Christina, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
4: Hi, Pastor Juan. I just want to say thank you so much for the words of wisdom that you um, shared with the young man regarding you.
3: Oh, we're losing you, Christina. Okay.
4: Are Are you there, Pastor?
3: I can hear you now. You cut out for a moment, but you're okay
4: okay great yeah i was reading a christian blogger on the weekend and it was a very um disconcerting thread and it was a very popular female christian blogger who apparently attended a pride rally in austin and um you know just made it and it was it looked like a beautiful concept until i read the rest of the thread and they were just a group of christians who were there at the pride rally and just loving people and giving people hugs But if you read the thread, um, there there was so much division. And it really saddened me that she insisted that there was no need to preach the gospel or share not just the physical love of Christ, but the truth and the reality in a loving way about the situation that they're in. Would you mind just sharing some practical ways that you feel that Christians might be able to share that in that compassionate context?
3: Yeah, I can do that, Christina. My heart is with your heart. I it, it breaks and and this is sort of the way of the professing Christian church. Um, we're, we're being won over by the arguments of this world, by the emotional arguments of this world. Uh, just love yes. them, just embrace them, accept them the way they are. Jesus was always with sinners. But but we have to take our cue from Jesus. And when Jesus was with sinners, he always told them to go and sin no more. Um, uh, he told the, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, when he caught up with him, stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And we've got to take that message, Christine, to, to the people in this world. And I think what we have to do, I think the difficulty that we have in, in sharing is that we feel like we're judging and we feel like we're, we're, we're offending people. I think we needn't worry about that. I think instead, as long as we know our hearts are right with God and we know our motive for sharing is, is uh, the motive of love. And, and the, the most loving thing we can do is say to people, look. I want you to be in heaven. And the only way you can be in heaven is with Jesus. Now, here's our problem again, Christina, because what will happen is um, uh, people will say, well, I'm a Christian. I already believe in Jesus, but but he's okay with my lifestyle. Uh, our job is to tell them it's not, and, and that's going to lead to confrontations. We don't want to argue with people, but we want to be lights in the darkness. We want to bring the truth. And it is an absolute tragedy especially in social media, especially those um, professing Christians who are, are millennials or, or maybe just, they just they lean toward um, a more liberal theology. Uh, the tragedy is that they're so close and yet Jesus is going to walk right through and miss them. Over and over through the Gospels, you see Jesus so close to people that they can plan to kill him at one point, trying to push him off a cliff, but he just kind of walks through. And the sad thing for me is that they're close, that close to God, and they miss out on him. And, Christina, that's exactly what's happening. And the, 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 the world is winning the argument, and the real Christians... I said a long time ago on this radio program, when we first got started, that, that this is going to be the line in the sand, the dividing issue among those who are faithful to the Word and those who will be won over by the world. It's this issue of the acceptance of aberrant lifestyles, and we are going to be bullied and put in a position where we're made to feel like less than human, less than loving, if in fact we don't accept people and love them where they are. Um, Again, this, this Christian blogger that you speak of She would never be able to explain to Jesus, face-to-face with Jesus, why she was hugging, and why she was ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So many of us were ashamed of the gospel. And because we are, people are dying and going to hell. That doesn't mean we're going to convert everybody, but what it does mean, Christina, is that it remains our responsibility if we're the only ones left that will say sin is sin it's our responsibility before God to do that so keep praying for them but, but this, is, this is the professing Christian world especially on social media uh, and it isn't Christian at all Christina thanks for calling it's wonderful to hear from you again let's go to Cedar Park now and talk with Steve on line 3 Steve thanks for holding your on the air
2: uh, good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Uh, this question comes, in, and I really don't mean it as a, a gotcha question, because as, as we've spoken before, you know I'm a former Catholic, but now you know a born again believer. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing the Catholic Church and growing up where all my friends in the Northeast are, are Catholic, and um, I I wanted to ask, and again I understand if you if you don't want to hit this question, but I can only kind of see that the hierarchy of the Church, the Pope, the Cardinals, and the Bishop, they obviously, or maybe they don't or haven't read the Bible, but are they purposely deceiving the flock? Or is it that God, because I think I've read it, occasionally he'll put kind of like a blinders and so that, you know, basically the sheep, it's up to them to find the true shepherd. Um, but I can't see how they can teach what they teach, and and speak about what they speak about knowingly that that they're off base from Scripture. And again, I'm not a Catholic basher because I grew 45 years in the Church and followed the Church, but, you know, saw my way out by following Scripture, so I don't want to come across as a a basher, but I can't see how it's anything except uh, just deception.
3: Yep, uh, Steve, I, do, I don't disagree with you at all. This is not a gotcha question at all. And I have no problem addressing it. It's, um, the, the, the one thing that we can never do is, is discern the heart of the people. Uh, I can tell you that in the Catholic Church, and I've had this same uh, prayerful conversation with the Lord over false prosperity teachers um, you know, that are so prominent uh, in the so-called Christian world. Um, I I know, they know that the things they're doing are false. They know it's a show, but they keep doing it. And so my question was always, well, Lord, are they deceived or are they deceivers? And the answer is both things are true. Um, In any religion where the Bible is not prioritized, um, their understanding of the Bible as a As a Pope, a cardinal or a bishop or a, or a priest, their understanding of the Bible is the understanding that filtered their whole education. Um, we run into this all the time as as you as a, a lifelong Catholic understand uh, people are fed the truth as it comes from the church they find out it 's not true, and many of them will still hold on to it because of their investment in it or because of their their fear. Over, over running away but here's my point whether they're deceivers and I, I believe that those who are high up in the Roman Catholic Church uh, are deceivers I think they are condemned and I believe with all of my heart that they will answer to God. One needs only to read Jeremiah chapter 23 and 24 or um, read Isaiah's uh, admonitions to those who are, are teaching false doctrine. Um, go to the New Testament and read Second Peter and his warnings against false teaching. Um, how they respond when they are corrected will determine whether they are deceived or deceivers. And I think the man or the woman with a heart for God who is deceived will be led to the truth of Jesus Christ. The the deceiver or those who want to be deceived are without excuse. And I think that's the most important thing to understand, Steve. Every one of these people is going to stand before God and give account of their 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 own walk with with Jesus or their own choices or decisions. So, um, I think. Many of them know what they're doing is wrong. Um, I think many of them, again, whether it's Catholics or other false teachers, uh, I think they simply don't care. I think they've stumbled on a formula for success. I think they are protecting a way of life. Um, and frankly, they're not concerned. Now, here's the problem as it relates to the higher-ups in the Catholic Church. Um, how could they condone? The horrible things and the the huge numbers of these horrible things that have been done by these higher ups if they had the Holy Spirit living in them. Jesus said if you don't have the Holy Spirit you don't belong to Him. And so uh, they they are some deceived and they just don't want to know anymore but others are intentional wolves, deceivers but regardless they are all accountable and they are all without excuse for Um, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to answer. I could also go to Christina's question um, just before your call, Steve. Um, Those professing Christians who are encouraging homosexuals to live uh, a lifestyle and and basically make it comfortable for people to go to hell, what we've got to do is understand we represent Jesus, and we're going to stand before him one day, and he's going to say, so why were you ashamed? He said, one who makes one of my little ones stumbles, it would be better that he or she would never be born. It was a millstone and a deep ocean. And I think we forget that sometimes in all of our talk about the love of God. We forget about the holiness and the justice of God. And as professing Christians, we are accountable to God to tell the truth. And the evidence is overwhelming. People who perpetuate the false teaching... And don't respond to clear correction. I think it reveals where their real heart is. We can't, again, condemn their hearts. We can't know their motives. But God does, and we can rest in his justice. Does that help, Steve?
2: Very much. Thank you so much, Pastor.
3: Okay, Steve. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. You know, one of the things with um, a common connection between um, Christina's call and and Steve's call is uh, these are matters that we who are believers really need to pray. If somebody doesn't think they need I'm a Catholic, I'm saved or well I believe God is a God of love and he accepts everybody the way they are uh, all we can do is pray for those people but we have got to fight the battle against being influenced by the world that we live in. I'm going to tell you up front it's not going to be easier, it's going to get more and more difficult I think of Pastor Ken who filled in for me yesterday. Pastor Ken is uh, the age that I was when we started this church. And I think about Pastor Ken and and what the next 20 years holds for him. If we who are believers look back on the last just five or ten years, things have changed so much and so quickly. We can only imagine what it's going to be like. And for those of us who are Christians, who are are on social media, we are reading Christian bloggers, Christian celebrities, they're very out there with their faith, but they are promoting a gospel that isn't good news at all. And what we've got to do is be men and women who will draw that line in the sand, get on Jesus' side, and proclaim the truth, even when an entire world is pointing fingers at us and calling us bigots and haters. Well, Jesus said that would happen. Truth is, we just didn't think in the United States it would ever happen to us. And now it is. And Christians, professing Christians, are being won over by these arguments. question I had earlier in the program... Well, if the church changes position on capital punishment, why is it wrong to change a position on homosexuality? We can't change positions because they're not our positions to change. As Christians, it's our responsibility to agree with God. Period. That's what identifies us as believers. Here's a question from Randy. Randy wants to know, what is the best way to connect to God when you feel he's distant? Well, Randy, I'm grateful that he's not so distant that you don't ignore the need to reconnect to God. It's really important. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, when Jesus was writing to the church at Ephesus, he gave us a formula for this. He told the Ephesian church, though they were doing good things, their church looked vibrant and it looked healthy. He said, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. The way I would say it is you've fallen out of love with me. You used to love me, Jesus would say. We used to do everything together. What happened? Well, the problem isn't that Jesus moved. He's not distant. The problem is that we've moved away from him. And the best way to connect is the formula from the second chapter of Revelation. We need to remember our first love. We actively need to remember what it was like when we woke up in the morning and couldn't wait to see what Jesus had to say. We wanted to report in right away. We wanted to open the Bible. We, we wanted to go out and pray. We wanted to spend time. We would we, go to lunch and Jesus would be right there with us and we'd talk to him all the time. We talked about him. Well, he says first, remember. That first love. Then he said to repent. We've got to be honest and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've sinned. To fall out of love with the one who gave everything for me is a sin. And you don't have to beat yourself up. You just say, I'm so sorry, and instantly. Our repentance is accomplished and our relationship with God is restored. And then the third part of this formula is to return and do the things you did at first. That just means we go back and we rekindle the love affair. You know, uh, our relationship with Jesus is a lot like a marriage, Randy. Um, When we're courting our wives or our wives are courting us. We're on our best behavior. We try to look good. We try to smell good we do nice things we say nice things why? because we're trying to win her heart but then we get married and we sort of start taking for granted the relationship instead of being nice going out of our way to be nice or to say nice things to to, to look nice to smell nice we just sort of well she's stuck with me now and basically the relationship suffers and that's exactly what happens with Jesus My final comment for you, Randy, I think might be the most important. Stop thinking about God and start thinking about Jesus. God is so distant. He's out there. And He's real. We're Christians. But Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. We can't imagine the Father. We can't talk to a Father on our own merit. He lives in unapproachable light. How can we approach him? Well, Jesus came to earth in the form of a man so that we could see who God is and what he looks like. If God the Father could look into a mirror, we could see the reflection, we'd see Jesus. So personalize your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the one who will take you to the throne of the Father. Jesus is the one who will instruct the Holy Spirit to fill you with power to fill you with joy to fill you with hope so you and Jesus spend some time together get up in the morning and open your Bible really expecting that God's going to speak to your heart focus on him the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Colossians in the third chapter set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of glory The heart is the place of affection. The mind is the place of decision. If you'll set your heart and mind on Jesus, then that distance between you and the Lord will disappear. And he's the one who do all the work. So, Randy, I hope that helps. It's a really, really important question. Malcolm wants to know, Pastor Ron, why is drinking okay and pot is not? Well, Malcolm, because God said one is okay, in moderation he didn't say it's okay to be stoned in moderation by the way that's an oxymoron those things don't go if you're stoned you're stoned the truth Malcolm is when people ask me this question they simply want to smoke pot and they want to pretend it's okay with God Jesus wants you he doesn't want to stone you Now, drinking is okay in moderation. It's always been okay in moderation. I wish the Bible, Malcolm, said drinking was a sin and nobody should ever do it. As a pastor, there's so much pain, so much damage that I've seen caused by drinking. I wish it would have said, but it didn't. It said to be drunk is sin. And I think if you're high, you're drunk. Well, imagine what's like with marijuana. I grew up in the hippie generation. I didn't do drugs. But I'd watch my friends with pot and get high and stoned all the time. I saw what happened to them. I saw the direction their lives took. And the marijuana that we have now is, what, 10, 15 times more powerful, more potent than the pot back then? Everything we do is more concentrated. Why? Because we've learned how to be really good at sinning. So you've got to decide, Malcolm whether or not you belong to the Lord. And you don't get to argue with him. You don't get to debate with him. Well, I think it ought to be okay that we smoke pot. It's not, so you've got to decide, do you love your pot more or do you love Jesus more? And if you even have to think about that for a second, then what you need, Malcolm, is to get born again. Drinking is okay in moderation only because the Bible says... Being stoned. Can you imagine saying, if this question was, well, why is drinking okay and cocaine is not? Nobody's asking that question, but pot. It's like it's not as powerful or as damaging. If you believe that Malcolm, then you're listening to the propaganda put out by the people who stand to make a lot of money by selling and marketing marijuana or even a government that benefits by the taxes on legalized marijuana it's a bad thing, you shouldn't do it and if that offends you then I offer you Jesus he loves you, he died for your sins and you have to decide now what you're going to do I get this question a lot And every time it's because somebody wants to sin and they don't want to be confused by the word of God. It's the word, the word, the word. Be with Jesus. Malcolm, you won't want to do pot. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. It was great to be back with you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. Appreciate your calls and questions. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4. God bless.